<laughs> All right. We are ready to get started. Second Kings chapter 12. Chapter 12, Second Kings. I need some room here. Very good. All right. We're going to pick up at verse 1 because we left off at the close of chapter 11. So we're making our way verse by verse, chapter by chapter. That's what we do here. Let's ask the Lord for his blessing. Oh, Heavenly Father, we do acknowledge your presence in this place. And Jesus' words, apart from him, we could do nothing. And, and Lord, we just need you. We just acknowledge our weakness and, and ask that you open us up to hear your word. And let us receive it as it is, the word of God sent to bless us and to save us. In Jesus' name and all God's children said, amen, amen. amen. Well, we left off last time quite a nail-biter. Last week's study came down just to one heartbeat to preserve David's royal line and to keep God's promise intact. Um, God had promised, do you know, uh, that the Messiah would come through David's royal line. And, of course, the devil knows the word of God. Uh, we have proof of that. You know, when he quoted uh, Psalm 91 and verse 12, I believe, to Jesus and said, go ahead and jump because it is written that God will give his angels charge over you to protect you in all of your ways. So uh, behind the wrath of Queen Athaliah, of course, was uh, the wrath of the evil one uh, who wanted to destroy all the heirs to the throne. And of course, uh, the devil was behind that as well. And so together, if they had succeeded, then Jesus would lose the right, the royal right to the throne and the scriptures would be broken. So that was last week. And we learned last week also that uh, in that diabolical slaughter uh, of all the male heirs, they missed one, just one. But that's all we needed was one. And the hero in this case was uh, Auntie uh, Jehoshaphat. Uh, she is married to the high priest there in the temple. And together they took this child and, and hid him in the temple along with all the other uh, Levite children and raised him up. And then uh, the big reveal was seven years down the line uh, with the military on board. You'll recall uh, they blew the trumpets, crowned the seven-year-old in the presence of uh, everybody there and, and chanted, long live King Joash. And the, the evil queen mother who had killed her own grandchildren so that she could have the throne, uh, she came in and uh, she was promptly executed uh, and she went to her death, of course, in such a pathetic way, blaming everybody else for treason. So, uh, so the royal lion that descends from King David has been restored through now King Joash. Uh, the seven-year-old has been crowned, as I just said, and his new father, we'll call him father, I call him the father, uh, he's the high priest that he's really, uh, he's, he's technically the uncle, really, by marriage to uh, the new king. Uh, he is going to be guiding and mentoring, uh, really, not only King Joash, but the nation, because it's obviously a seven-year-old cannot uh, rule the nation. And so, really, Jeho uh, Jehoiada 
is the high priest, and he's really mentoring the nation and mentoring this boy king until he grows up. But guess what? Tonight, uh, the boy king grows up, and we learn about what kind of king he becomes. Verse 1. In the seventh year of Jehu, this is the king to the north, Joash became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 40 years. So the boy's going to grow up, but he's got a 40-year reign ahead of him. His mother's name was Zibiah. She was from Beersheba. Joash did what was right in the eyes of the Lord all the years Jehoiada, the priest, instructed him. The high places, however, were not removed. The people continued to offer sacrifices and burnt incense there. Let's pause there if you're taking notes. Number one, a good start. Number one, a good start. So a few verses here just for some historical context and overview of this king's reign. Um, Now, it's a good start, but truth be told, it's kind of good and kind of bad. Um, And so... uh, Uh, We're going to check this guy out here, Luke chapter 8, Jesus' parable, when he describes the gospel seed going into people's hearts as seed would go into ground. One of the analogies is that in some cases, a heart that's shallow, uh, the word of God is received and there's a plant that shoots up right away, but without roots going down deep. And uh, shallow-hearted people uh, show signs of spiritual activity, uh, but they can't last. They can't go the distance, and they don't bear fruit. And King Joash is going to be one of those guys. He has a a flashy start. And uh, you see right here, uh, and we're going to see... uh, a quick overview, verse 2, it says, he does what's right in the eyes of the Lord all the years, not of his life. He does what's right in the eyes of the Lord all the years that Jehoiada instructed him. So really, while he was under the tutelage of the high priest, he behaved himself. But we're told in 2 Chronicles chapter 24 that once his guardian high priest dies, that his true colors uh, come out. And so um, in the beginning, you know, Jehoiada now, his high priest, or the high priest, uh, Jehoiada means to know God, and that he did. Um, This is the man who rescued this boy. Of course, his wife, Jehoshaphat, really did the whisking away out of harm's way. But her husband and them together are raising this boy. Now, 2 Chronicles 24 fills us in and says, this guy's an extraordinary man. He's one of the longest uh, lives He has one of the longest lives in all of the Old Testament. He lives 130 years. So he's about 100 uh, when he adopts this boy king. And so uh, he lives 30 years more. So most of uh, Joash's reign, 40 years, most of it, 30, at least 30 of those years, he's under Uh, Jehoiada, this godly, well-respected high priest. uh, And the high priest, really, there's a lot of control there. And so we sense there's a problem there. But he behaves himself. 
for 30 years, and you wouldn't know it. And he starts out, we're going to read about something very noble that he undertakes. So, so while dad is around, he behaves himself, but when dad dies, uh, he's going to go downhill, as we're going to see now. Um, one commentator said this, and what will be our story? The pastor moves on and the people fall away. The godly wife dies and the husband drops out of sight. The child raised in a Christian home goes off to college. Mom and dad aren't there anymore. And then they do their own thing. Our walk with God cannot stand or fall because of someone's influence in our lives. It has to be self-generated and self-sustained or can it even be called faith? I like that. So he's a good boy while his father's pastor, uh, at least, uh, but he doesn't get to the high places, as it mentions here. Uh, so he behaved himself under dad for 30 years, under dad. I'm just going to call him dad, and you know what, what I'm talking about. And so I don't have to say that every single time, even though I probably will anyway. Uh, so it says, but... He behaved himself, but you know what? He didn't get to the high places. The high places, as we've talked about before, those hills where mostly the pagan shrines existed and all kinds of bad things were going down on top of those hills. And uh, the false gods were worshipped. There was uh, prostitution up there, uh, witchcraft, all kinds of things. And yes, Jehovah God was also worshipped up there. They were told not to do that, but some true believers in the Lord would just go up there, and they didn't want to go all the way down to the temple. So they, Deuteronomy 12 says, temple only, corporate worship. Don't, don't make your own little convenient. Convenient worship was always a bad thing in the Old Testament and in the New. Worship doesn't need to be convenient. It needs to be biblical. <laughs> Amen. Okay, I'm going to try that again. I'm going to give you a second chance at, at what a line that was. <laughs> Worship doesn't need to be convenient. It needs to be biblical. Amen. That's what I'm talking about. And you better be like that on Sunday or I'm going to be embarrassed. All right. All right. Those pesky high places. My word. Take a look at this. I want to find this so bad. There it is. Solomon showed his love for the Lord by walking according to the statutes of his father, except that he offered sacrifices and burned incense. Where? On the high places. All right, here's another one. Although he did not remove the high places, Asa, good King Asa, he's fully committed to the Lord all his life, uh, except, although, however, <laughs> But he didn't get to the high places. Uh, here's another example. In everything, he walked in the ways of his father, and Asa did not stray from them. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. The high places, though, right? And then here again, the high places, however, there's a, a, another king who was good, however. Another king that was good. He was a good guy. He obeyed the Lord, however. Uh, he was a great king, however. Uh, there was another king, however. And it goes on and on. Now, there are two exceptions, Hezekiah and Josiah. Hezekiah removed the high places. He was a good king. He smashed those sacred stones and cut down those Asherah poles. The Asherah poles 
were uh, symbols up on the hilltops to let people know, prostitution here. Well, look what he did. And, and then there's uh, Josiah, just as he had done in Bethel, Josiah removed and, and defiled all of the shrines at the high places that the kings of Israel had built in the towns of Samaria that had provoked the Lord to anger. You know, that is not something I would recommend doing, is provoking the Lord to anger. Why would somebody want to do that? Not smart, right? Amen. Thank you. I've got two, two live ones here tonight. <laughs> Uh, thank you for that, Sam. Now, we've talked about this before. We all have high places. We all have high places, right? Sin so deeply ingrained. Sin so a part of our makeup and our personality. Uh, sin so pleasurable and convenient that we don't make the extra reach. Um, three ingredients to get to your high places. Courage, faith, and aggressive follow-through. It will be well worth getting to the high places when the high king is passing out rewards. So, okay, uh, yes, props for advancing the cause of God in the kingdom of Judah while Pops was alive, but he's called out for falling short of a full commitment uh, and complete devotion. Verses four through seven. Now, Joash said to the priests, Collect all the money, so, so he's about 30 years old now. Collect all the money that is brought as sacred offerings to the temple of the Lord. The money collected in the census, the money received from personal vows, and the money brought voluntarily to the temple. Let every priest receive the money from one of the treasurers, and let it be used to repair whatever damage is found in the temple." But by the 23rd year of King Joash, the priests still have not repaired the temple. Therefore, King Joash summoned his dad, father, Jehoiada, the priest, and the other priests and asked them, why aren't you repairing the damage done to the temple? Take no more money from your treasurers, but hand it over for the repairing of the temple. So we had a good start. Right, And we have a noble proposal, a noble pres uh, proposal. All right, so King Joash is going to make a move independent of his father, guardian, uh, now. So Second Chronicles 24 tells us why the temple's in disrepair. Because wicked queen mother Athaliah, who hated Yahweh and the temple worship, vandalized the temple with her sons. And so that is the reason. It's gone on for years. There's uh, breaches in the walls. There's all kinds of problems. So in verse 5, he says, hey, listen, let's fix the place up. And he gives a royal decree, and it's a good one. Uh, he says he wants to make repairs. Now, Joash, King Joash, now 30 years old, he has a soft spot for the temple. Why, do you think? He was raised in the temple. That's where he was rescued, and he grew up in the temple. And so he's tired of coming into the temple and seeing it uh, dilapidated, you know? And so he, he says, uh, use the tithes and offerings, the general fund, and from that, 
You priests, take a portion and make the repairs. And so the word went out, and uh, 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 the regular income in the Old Testament there that he's talking about there is, first of all, the, the census money. Uh, the census money was a half shekel that every Israelite gave at the temple uh, annually. The second uh, form of revenue is personal vows, which were kind of are the tithes. And then third are the voluntary offerings. He said, use this money to make the necessary repairs. So in year 23 of his reign, which makes him 30 years old, uh, for reasons not cited in the text, uh, the work is not done uh, after a long period of time. Now, it's not cited in the text, but I have a few uh, suggestions for what happened and what caused the delay. Number one, building projects. Uh, they take a long time. They can be a daunting task. Uh, they always seem easier at the beginning than they actually are. And in fact, renovating a building can cost more than a new one. So I think the, the first thing is, is that it's a daunting task and they kept putting it off, you know. The second thing is Jehoiada. Jehoiada is a fossil, all right? He's, he's very old, all right? And so here's this young man who says, hey, you, uh, what, what I want you to do now that you're 110 years old, I want you to take on a, a major building project, all right? And the guy's like, okay, yeah, let's do it. Let's do this. <laughs> do you know how many times he went home to Jehoshaphat and said, Oy vey, what am I going to do with this boy? He wants to do this and that. And doesn't he know, you know, how old people are? Uh, thirdly, I think no doubt they had good intentions, but uh, the money, the money was going to support the work of the ministry, to pay for the Levites, uh, to give them the monies that they need as usual. So what I believe happened is, is that at the end of every month, the building fund was transferred back into the general fund, and they used that money to sustain the work of the ministry in that place. That happens. All right? <laughs> I didn't say anything here. We don't even, uh, I mean, we have a little, we have a building fund. But uh, anyway, the way you laughed there just made me feel all defensive. <laughs> Whatever the reason, the system wasn't working, all right? So the king calls his father in, and he's not happy. And how do we know that? Well, the tone, first of all, and the secondly is the word summoned. The king summoned in the high priest. The high priest is his father guardian, all right? So he summoned him in, his father in, and he sits him down and he says, what's the problem, dad? I don't hear any hammers out there or sawzalls, you know? You don't know what a sawzall is? <laughs> well, he didn't hear any, all right? <laughs> no more excuses from now on. Let me, the king, and my royal cabinet handle the building fund money. All right? And here's what happened. Verse 8. The priests agreed that they would not collect any more money in the building fund for, from the people and that they would not repair the temple themselves. Jehoiada, the priest, took a chest 
and bored a hole in his lid. He placed it beside the altar on the right side as one enters the temple of the Lord. The priests who guarded the entrance put it into the ch- put into the chest all the money that was brought to the temple of the Lord. Whenever they saw that there was a large amount of money in the chest, the royal secretary and the high priest came, counted the money that had been brought into the temple of the Lord and put it into bags. When the amount had been determined, they gave the money to the men appointed to supervise the work on the temple. With it, they paid those who worked on the temple of the Lord, the carpenters and builders, the masons and the stonecutters. They purchased timber and dressed stone for the repair of the temple of the Lord and met all the other expenses of restoring the temple. The money brought into the temple was not spent for making silver basins, wick trimmers, sprinkling bowls, trumpets, or any other article of gold or silver for the temple of the Lord. It was paid to the workmen who used it to repair the temple. They did not require an accounting from those to whom they gave the money to pay the workers because they acted with complete honesty. The money from the guilt offerings and the sin offerings was not brought into the temple of the Lord. It belonged to the priests. Okay, so we have a good start, number two, a noble proposal, and now the successful project. So a successful fundraising campaign here, a renovation project on Solomon's temple, Uh, the, the priests acquiesce, all right? They yield to the king's instruction and they accept the rebuke, right? Now, verse eight, it's so nice to read that they have, essentially, they acknowledge that they've failed. Um, It's not working. They admit it. They're gonna stop pretending uh, like they're capable and it's gonna happen someday. Uh, No more attempts at fundraising. In fact, they're handing over the whole deal. They're handing over uh, the, the project to more capable hands. Now, in verse 8, you could have read this. You could have read, um, he calls him in, and he says, listen, this isn't working. You know, many years have gone by. What's happening? And then the priest could have said, you know what? Excuse me, but you guys are the government. You're the king. You, you, care, you, you worry about the state. We'll worry about the temple. The Lord has called us. We're Levites. We take care of things here. You mind your own business. Okay, it's taken us a little time, but we're the ones. We went to seminary. Hello. We are in charge. We are are the keepers of the temple. That's our department. But instead, there's humility. Uh, Yes, we know we're spiritually competent. Uh, we're priests. We do our job. That's what we do. But we're over our heads. With the building department, um, building uh, project and construction and all of that financial management for the project, uh, we agree. Have your way. One writer said, smart leaders surround themselves with capable people who are competent in the areas of their weakness. Let me, let me read it again. Okay, here. I just, I heard some crickets. And I, 
apparently there's a lot of them in the building right now. Here, let me try it again. Smart leaders surround themselves with capable people who are competent in the areas of their own weakness. Thank you. All right, so under the king's direction then, the priests make uh, opportunities for the people to give and they're turning it over. It's a very smart here. He, verse nine, they have a collection chest. And here's what has been the problem. The funds have been blurred, <laughs> all right? And so it's not working that way. So he says, okay, listen, stop with asking people for money. It's gonna be very clear, right? Up front by the altar where everybody has to come by. They're gonna see the chest, they're gonna know why this chest is here, and what will happen directly with this money. High visibility, high priority, easy, convenient giving, all of that is very important. So now it's separated out from the general tithes and offerings, and it's, it's designated here. Uh, Wiseman, commentator, he put it this way. When the people were assured that the money would really be used for the purpose for which it was given, they responded generously, and so similar arrangements were continued by Josiah later on. Now, God's people are, are called to give in general terms, right? Uh, most people do not designate their offerings. If everybody designated their offerings, there would be no money for a general fund. And so, uh, but God's people also like to give with targeted goals and specific needs. Um, you know, when the speakers blew out, uh, we let you know about that need and said, apart from your normal giving, we have a need. And it was $10,000. And $12,000 came in to cover it. You see, God's people really respond when they say, okay, here's the goal. You know, that, that has, I don't think that's, it's very rare when that has happened in our church fellowship. Uh, but once in a while, there's a, there's a chest that comes out and says, okay, normal tithes and offerings keep everything going as usual, but we have a specific need above that. And so that's exactly what happened here. And so um, they got... Uh, all cap serious, okay, verses 11 and 12. The chest was filled, it was guarded prudently. Uh, the monies, uh, verses 11 and 12, uh, were directly given to the workers and the craftsmen for materials. Uh, uh, the shekels, we're told, are just used strictly for the wages and the materials. Uh, verse 13 is important. It says, not one shekel was used for the priestly worship accoutrements or the paraphernalia. In other words, he, and they list some. Uh, none of the money from the chest went to uh, the nice cities, the things you wish you had. So in other words, they resisted the temptation with all of this money that was coming in. Hey, we need some new candelabras, we need new menorahs, we need some new instruments, the trumpets, right? No, 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 no. That was the problem in the first place, distracted. So this money was designated, and it wasn't raised for those purposes, even though it would be nice. Now, happy ending, by the way, they do end up with the extra, just like we did. And they go ahead and purchase 
those things, to purchase, make them and create them and pay for them. Uh, but uh, those monies were not to be used for things other than uh, what it was used for. Let's use the money for the major problem, the sanctuary first, not yielding to the temptation to replace the items inside the sanctuary. You know, I like this proverb. I have it for you. Proverbs uh, 24 and verse 27. Finish your outdoor work and get your fields ready. After that, build your house. First things first. And they needed to have patience. They wanted all the new shiny gold and silver stuff inside that they use, right? But they had holes in the ceiling. They had holes in the walls. They had to fix those things. First things first. Use uh, discipline, patience, and order, and wisdom. And I, I just like this. I, back in the day there, they're saying, you know, listen, everybody was excited about building a home and getting to enjoy your home in the comfort of your home. But if you did that before you worked on the field, your, your family was going to go hungry and you didn't have any income. So first things first is use the wisdom and, and, and patience and discipline to delay gratification so that you do things, you go about things in wise ways, in ways that are blessed. Uh, if I were to make spiritual applications, I would say something like get out of debt, save the cash, and then make the purchase. Amen? Amen. <laughs> yeah, that's hurtful, isn't it? I won't repeat it because it's so... Ouch, right? Uh, spiritual preparation, then full-time ministry. A stable job and income, then wedding plans. Here's a novel idea. Hold on. Here's a, here's a good one. First the marriage, then the honeymoon. What? <laughs> Don't you? Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, so nice to blow the silver trumpets and, and light the golden menorah, but, you know, it's more prudent to have the roof fixed. So he said, they were wise. They didn't take the money and spend it in ways that they should not have. Um, have patience. Have patience. Just hold your horses on those things. It's a very important not to get distracted and get the niceties first, and then, yeah, then you look around and there's still a hole in the, why? Because you used up the money in the wrong way. You know, just have patience. Nobody wants patience, right? I saw a sign on the freeway, expect delays ahead. And I said, yes, Lord, I know. <laughs> That's how he works. <laughs> All right. So things are good. The repairs have been made. The new trumpets are there. Uh, but Chronicles tells us Dad dies, and the kid uh, goes south. Let's talk about that. Verse 17, we'll finish up. About this time, Haziel, king of Syria, is what Aram is, uh, went up and attacked Gath and captured it. Then he turned to attack Jerusalem, where this king is. But Joash, king of Judah, took all the sacred objects dedicated by his father, fathers Jehoshaphat, Jehoram, and Ahaziah, the kings of Judah, 
and the gifts he himself had dedicated and all the gold found in the treasuries of the temple of the Lord and of the royal palace. And he sent them to Haziel, king of Syria, who then withdrew from Jerusalem. As for the other events of this guy's life, and all he did, aren't they written in this book of the annals of the kings of Judah? His officials conspired against him and assassinated him at Beth Milo on the road down to Sila. Uh, the officials who murdered him were Josabad, son of Shimeath, and Johazabad, son of Shomer. Uh, he died and was buried with his fathers in the city of David, and Amaziah, his son, succeeded him as king. Uh, all right, so we have a good start. We had a noble proposal. We had a successful project, and now a poor finish, a sad life. Now, uh, the godly influence of uh, Joash's dad is gone. Jehoiada is um, dead, and he's buried with the kings. So people honored him. He is buried with the kings of Judah. Um, but King Joash now turns out to be uh, a better follower than a good leader. Uh, he's not a man of much character. Now, uh, there's a fuller uh, version of the end of this guy's life and this war with Syria uh, in Second Chronicles 24. I invite you to turn there or I'm gonna project it on the screen. I'll give you a second, those of you who prefer the, I should never have given you a choice. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's read. Ready? Yeah, let me, where do I put my glasses? Well, I could just turn around, but I can't see that either. <laughs> After the death of Jehoiada, the officials of Judah came and paid homage to the king. And he listened to them. That's the problem. They abandoned the temple of the Lord the God of their fathers, and worshipped Asherah poles and idols. Because of their guilt, God's anger came upon Judah and Jerusalem. Although the Lord sent prophets to the people to bring them back to him, and though they testified against them, they would not listen. Then the Spirit of God came upon Zechariah, son of Jehoiada, the priest, you might as well call him stepbrother, right? Because he's the father's bio son. You got that? All right. He stood before the people, this son of Jehoiada, and says, this is what God says. Why do you disobey the Lord's commands? You will not prosper. Because you have forsaken the Lord, he has forsaken you, my stepbrother. <laughs> But they plotted against him, and by order of the king, that's Joash, they stoned Jehoiada's son to death in the courtyard of the Lord's temple. King Joash did not remember the kindness Zechariah's father Jehoiada had shown him by rescuing him and raising him, but killed his son, who said as he lay dying, 
May the Lord see this and call you, Joash, to account. At the turn of the year, the army of Aram marched against Joash. Uh, Somebody's prayers just got answered. It invaded Judah and Jerusalem and killed all the leaders of the people. They sent all the plunder to the king in Damascus. Although the Syrian army had come with only a few men, the Lord delivered into their hands a much larger army. Because Judah had forsaken the Lord, the God of their fathers, judgment was executed on Joash. When the Syrians withdrew, they left Joash severely wounded. His officials then conspired against him for murdering the son of Jehoiada, the priest, and they killed him in his bed. So he died and was buried in the city of David, but not in the tombs of the kings. A poor finish, indeed. Thank you for the scripture. Cowardice, uh, faithlessness, he abandons the faith. And so let's wrap up by talking a little bit about what went on here. So his spiritual father dies, right? The one who rescued him and raised him. Jehoiada, this man of God. And so corrupt officials are emboldened. Uh, They come now because the godly guy's out, right? The godly pastor, you know, he's 130 years old. He does things, you know, by the book. Everything's by the book. He's no fun at all. He's so old school, this guy. So the youngins come in. And they come in to pay respects and homage to Joash. And what do they say? They say, hey, man, the old guy's gone. You know, let's loosen up a little bit. Let's contemporize things. You fixed up the temple. We got new trumpets. Uh, The old guy's out. Come on. What do you say? Hey, it's time for you to call the shots instead of that guy over your 30 years. Aren't you tired of that? And he listened. Let's have a little fun. Let's be like the Canaanites. So they set up the Canaanite shrines. And all of that. The old guy's gone. Let's breathe a little. Come on. So he listens and he abandons the faith. Uh, Why? Why does he abandon the faith? Peer pressure plus sin nature plus hormones plus desire to show the old man I'm not your puppet anymore. Right? That's a little bit. All of that went into saying, okay, yeah, let's do this. So the Lord faithfully sends warnings, your text says. Uh, There are rumblings of war to try to bring them to their senses. Uh, That didn't work. Rumblings of prophetic warnings. And so they refused to listen. And then the bio son of Jehoiada, he stands up and he says to his brother, what are you thinking? God is not in this. You're forsaking God. He's going to forsake you. And brother says, kill him. Get rid of him. They end up knowing how bad and grievous that is because they end up killing him for that. Once the dust settles, they realize, can you believe he ordered a hit on Jehoiada, his own father who rescued him, his bio son? It doesn't get worse than that. You know, why did he snap? Why did he snap, do you think? Well, you you have this rebuke coming from the same eyes, the same face, the same sounding voice of the old man is back. 
and I need to get rid of him. And he snaps. And he goes, just when I thought I could live and breathe a little bit, he's in my face again. And he goes red, sees red, and orders his execution. Check out the, the, the Holy Spirit's commentary. Not only is he killing God's prophet, Zechariah, and it's not our famous Zechariah, it's the priest's son. He's killing the son of his rescuer, but I love verse 22. He didn't take into account the kindness he was shown by this guy's father. Killed him anyway. The guy who saved him from death and raised him to know and love the Lord. Here's a quote. Man, get ready to say amen. <laughs> that way, hey, everybody's happy, right? <laughs> and you're, you're like, hey, thanks for the warning. Okay. When the sin nature is our master passion, anyone who gets in the way of the object of its desire is dispensable, for the highest priority is serving self. Amen. Yeah, that was kind of the wrong place to say amen after all, right? It was a little too serious, but yeah. I mean, amen to how truthful that is. I'm going to read it one more time for me. When the sin nature has control, anyone who gets in the way, God help anyone who gets in the way of the sin nature and the object of its lust. It doesn't care if it's your mama or your daddy or your little baby boy or your grandchild. Ask Athaliah. Do not think and we've been down this, we've had this talk before. <laughs> Do not think that you are the exception to the rule. That not, you would never do anything like that. Yeah, you would. Because in your heart is the deceitful, sinful nature that is alive and well tonight. And it's just by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit that you have that beast subdued. All right? Why do you think the New Testament constantly tells you, crucify it, crucify it, crucify it? Why? If it gets control, there's going to be a lot of harm, not only to yourself, but to everybody around. That's why if by the Spirit you do put to death the misdeeds of the body, you shall live. That's Romans 8, verse, Jim, will tell you later. <laughs> Yeah, so as the poor guy Zechariah is martyred, here's his dying words to his stepbrother. May God see what you just did, and may he hold you responsible. Now, that's a prayer of justice, and it's biblical. It's not a Christian prayer so much as an Old Testament prayer, but God answers it. I don't think it's Unbiblical. I just think in light of the cross and in light of Jesus and in light of Stephen's examples that we have a better prayer, right? I, I, I'm not going to fault this one. But we're going to pray. Father, forgive him. He just doesn't understand. Don't hold this sin to their account. Stephen, Acts chapter 7. And Jesus... They don't know what they're doing. Uh, so King Joash uh, doesn't repent. 
Uh, he gets wounded. Things are looking bad. Syria is breathing down his neck. It's, it's winning. Even though they have a tiny army, Israel has a big army. Uh, the Lord is blessing the Syrians to turn up the heat because they've all fallen away from the Lord and he's bringing the smack down. And uh, does he repent? You could have read. And then Joash fell on his face before God and said, look what I've done. I've got blood on my hands. I've, I've killed the son of my, my, my own guardian father and started to repent. You would think with Syria. And then he's wounded. But what does he do? He, he gives away four generations of treasures that don't belong to him. They belong to the Lord and the Lord's people. Four generations, he, he says, hey, take all of this and get out of here. You're winning anyway. Take it. And they do. He buys them off. But he's wounded anyway. <laughs> so he's convalescing in bed, wounded, seriously, and everybody starts to talk. What a wicked louse this guy is. They're talking about this guy. Now, he lost the war. He got rid of, he pawned all of the treasures of four generations. And he killed Jehoiada's son. Let's go in that bedroom right now and take care of business. And they did. He's a murderer. Genesis chapter 9, verse 6, the death penalty. Before the Mosaic law says, if anyone sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. That's not Jewish law. That's before Jewish law. That's called the death penalty. For in the image of God, he has made them. That's the reason God gives. That when you look at a human being, you are seeing something sacred. This is something that reflects God's image and somebody that God made. And if you raise a weapon to that and kill it, the image and the person of God, then you forfeit your life by the state. That's what God teaches there. And the reason the world doesn't accept it is because it's a command of God. <laughs> so whenever you see that the world is up in arms about something, you know, like the death penalty, just know that it's probably biblical. <laughs> Amen? Yeah. All right, and so he loses his life, and so we're at the end here. You know, um, they bury him, but they deny him a place with the kings. Why? Those people are smart. They know when it's not the real deal. He's not the real deal. Why put him in with the kings? He wasn't much of a king. So they deny him burial with the kings. Uh, one comment here. Adam Clark, British theologian, uh, 1800s, about this text. And thus ends a reign full of promise and hope in the beginning, but reckless squandering, cruelty, and a disastrous end. Never was the hand of God's justice more unmistakably stretched out against an, an apostate king and a faithless people uh, than at this time in Israel's history. Wow. Here's my one-minute takeaway, all right? Let's take a look at it. Shallow-hearted faith is not good for the long haul. Number two. 
We must establish our own personal relationship with God instead of riding the spiritual coattails of someone else. Number three, abandoning the faith has disastrous results. (laughs) Number four, when the sinful heart gains control, no one is safe, everyone is dispensable. And number five, God sees everything and he calls everyone to account. Always. Amen. Amen. Oh, you're getting better at that. (laughs) All right, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we... We always read these words with, with, and we are sobered by them because we know, Lord, there but the grace of God go, go I and us. And so, Father God, minister to us now and as we reflect into the night hours, Lord, about these truths that we've seen and speak to our hearts and seal this in our souls, Lord, so that we might not sin against you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together, closing song.